Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Mitch Gray about the qualities and attributes of a successful organizational leader. Mitch Gray, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. John, great to see you, man. Yeah, it's great to have a chance to chat with you. It's always fun preparing for these interviews slash conversations and uh, getting to know um, guests a little bit beforehand. And it was fun uh, talking with you in the pre-interview. And I'm excited to have a chance to talk today about the qualities and attributes of a successful organizational leader. We're going to be talking about the difference between Uh, management and leadership, uh, how leaders can better engage their people to drive success within an organization, and other kind of related topics. As we get started, I just wanted to share Mitch's bio with everyone. Mitch Gray is a writer, a speaker, podcaster, and creator of Shift Culture Consultants. His work has been published in several publications, including Addicted to Success and The Good Men Project. Using his experience from over two decades of leadership in both retail business and nonprofits. Mitch teaches leaders how to better engage and empower their teams to take productivity and performance to the next level. When he isn't writing, creating content, or working on his podcast, The Mitch Gray Show, you can find him camping, fly fishing, or enjoying the outdoors with his family. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, and where are you located, Mitch? I am in New Mexico, thus the uh, Zia symbol you can see behind uh, me if you're yes. watching on video. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I'm in Utah and uh, New Mexico and Utah both are great places for lots of outdoor adventures. I uh, was in Utah for a few days, a few months back in the summer, actually. And I haven't spent much time there, but every time I have, I love it, man. I, I need to get there more often. It's a treasure, a true treasure. Yeah. I, I, you know, pre-COVID, we just have busloads and busloads, millions of people coming through, you know, as tourists to see all the national parks and everything. And that's died down, you know, yeah. um, this year. Uh, but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and same with New Mexico. There's some really beautiful places to explore for sure. Yeah, when I, I think I went in July, June or July. Um, and I really wanted to spend a couple more days in Moab, but it was packed with people. And I thought, nah, I don't need to spend too much time there. There, there were way too many tourists there at that time for me. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, even during COVID, it's still packed, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Yep. Well, well, Mitch, it's it's a pleasure to have a chance to talk. Before we dive into the discussion, anything else you want to share by way of background or personal context? Um, man, it's just it's a crazy time to be alive, right? Um, all of us are adjusting to this 
interesting season of life. Um, I always want to encourage people that it is just a season. We'll, we'll get through it and we'll come out the other side. It may look different than before and that's okay as well. I was reading this morning about impermanence and how the, the hope of life comes from impermanence of life. And we're kind of living in that stage, right? So um, yeah, I'm just adjusting to everything, adjusting to Zoom calls and, and remote work and trying to meet people via social media. Um, I have a pretty vast background, as you read in my bio, and um, yeah, just have a great family. All three of my kids are grown. My youngest is a freshman in college now, and so impermanence, that's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, everything continually is shifting, isn't it? And uh, if nothing else, this this pandemic has retaught us that lesson, you know, that we need to be agile and adaptable. Uh, you know, to, to move forward in a positive way. Yep. Well, so Mitch, I'm, I'm curious, maybe we can start with just what got you to a place where you wanted to focus your career on developing leaders and helping organizations be more successful. I've always had this idea, first of all, that there is power in the human story. And I believe leaders have such a great impact. You can look through the, the history of humankind. And sure, we get to look back in reflection and, and read about the people that, that have done amazing things um, in, in not just the country we live in in America, in America, but in human history. And ever since I was a kid, I just had this idea that the, the human story has such great power. Everyone has a story to tell which as I got into my teenage years, led me into the idea of empowerment and of inspiration. And I actually always wanted to be a pastor, a preacher. And since I was nine or 10 years old, and I did that for a while and, and it was fun. Some, some of the best times of my life, most fun times of life, it was when I was working in ministry. Conversely, some of the worst times of my life was when I was in that capacity. That's the reason I, I'm not in that capacity anymore. And I, and it, but even still, even though I've moved on in different various beliefs and types of faith and things like that, I've always, my core has always been about empowering people and inspiring people. I say that because when I was in my early 20s, the first time I, I left the ministry aspect of occupation, I went into high fashion retail and uh, within, I was just trying to make money for my family. And within six months, the company I was at uh, put me in charge of a multi-million dollar store. And so I moved up really quickly. And I, I just fell in love with business. And I quickly fell in love with what the only way I could reference it at the time was ministry. But really what I've learned is it's just humankind being empathetic and compassionate and serving each other. And I think that's a human aspect and not a religious aspect. And I quickly learned that when you do that in business, it changes the game. So I had these experiences with leaders in business who just treated people like they were slaves, basically. I mean, just paid them poorly, treated them poorly, weren't compassionate at all. Experientially, I learned that when I treated people with compassion and empowered them and engaged them, they became the high performers. And so I told someone the other day, it's kind of like I began to meld at 23 years old, this idea of servant leadership, being compassionate with the business world of how it can impact the bottom line. 
that was uh, 20 years ago. And so I've, I've been on this journey the last 20 years to really engage leaders and challenge them on the idea that when you start relinquishing control, when you stop living in fear, when you begin creating a workplace that people can enjoy working at, it takes care of the bottom line. And I believe, again, looking through human history, that is a message that will never die because you will continuously have these leaders that tend to rise up, you know, through the turn and burn system or through this ideology of authoritarianism. And it just doesn't work. It burns people out. It literally can kill people from stress and from heartache. And it's just not the way to live. And from a leadership perspective, when we're honest, it's really miserable to be in that negative type of leadership. So that's become my passion. It kind of it kind of switched from, you know, preaching the religious things to preaching the human things of empathy and compassion and love. And so that's the journey I've been on for, like I said, about 20 years. It's been interesting and, uh, and fun. Well, that's so interesting to, to hear about the transition. And I'm sure there's a lot more detail we could go into, you know, behind that story. Uh, but you know, I, I agree. I, I think there's just so much natural overlap uh, between, for example, ministry or I, you know, I come from a family of social workers and I think, uh, you know, I'm kind of the oddball that I'm in business, you know, but I do this stuff. Right. And so it's basically the same thing. <laughs> it, right, it's, right. it's just, it's just within a different context, but you're still, you're still about empowering people, developing people, helping them to to learn and acknowledge their full capacity and live up to it, you know, all those sorts of things. It, it's really, you know, whether you're talking ministry, social work, or a, a variety of different contexts for business, you know, it, it's, it's kind of the same work. And it's something that I share, you know, that kind of passion about too. Um, you, you already alluded to it a little bit as you're sharing that background. Um, but we, we do see leaders with different, styles, different approaches. And I say leader in quotes, right? Because, you know, someone who has a position, a title, you know, uh, they're somewhere in the hierarchy, they're considered a leader, but they may not actually lead. They may not actually um, be what I would define as a leader. And so we have this, this friction, this tension sometimes between management versus leadership. So there's that differentiation. Uh, and there's certainly different styles and approaches and qualities and characteristics of what we might say would be a successful leader. So what's your general sense of that tension first? And then what are some of those characteristics that we should be trying to develop within ourselves and within our people? Yeah, so really the statement becomes the position does not make the person. The, the person makes the position ideologically, right? So in a perfect world, it would be like, we don't really have positions. So I, I used to coach um, basketball as well. And, and I loved coaching the idea of positionless basketball. In other words, everyone at any point in time could kind of sort of to the best of their ability. You know, if you have a five, seven point guard, they're not going to be a great center for those that don't know basketball. The center are the large people on the court. Um, the point guards are the smaller people normally, but th the idea would be that when anytime someone got the ball on any point on the floor, everything could still flow. And I think that applies to business. The ideological world would be, we have a positionless world. The problem with that is our humanity says we need to define things. And our humanity says people need responsibilities. And there's truth to that, to have everyday function. 
But the same application really works when you're talking about leadership and management. I differentiate the two in this. I believe managers are people that don't really, they're not leaders, but they're in leadership positions. They're the ones that just care about the numbers for the day, making sure everyone gets to work on time. They get really flustered when things go bad. They want to get the to-do list done. They're the ones that are only focused on the concrete measurables. They're managers. In that definition, we're saying they're managing the effort of the people, making sure they're getting done what they're told they're supposed to get done. Leaders, conversely, are the people that they get those things done, but they get it done through the avenue of inspiration, empowerment, accountability, and permission. Leaders are also the people that without being asked or told go above and beyond. Um, a, a great mentor of mine used to say the cream rises to the top. Those are the leaders that naturally just begin rising up and you can see it. You can walk in a room, you can go amongst a team, you can be amongst a group of your friends and you know who the leaders are. They're not always the most vocal. They're not always the most active, but they're always the most strategic and empowering and inspirational. And so you start looking into personality traits and someone says, well, I have a hard personality or I have a soft personality or I have, you know, a people personality or I'm an introvert. Those can all be great leaders. The leadership is measured on the internal awareness and the output of that internal awareness. That's how you know who a leader is and a manager is. And really people can tell. You can walk in a place of business and pull the employees aside and say, hey, who makes the most impact when you come to work every day? Those are your leaders. Hey, who, who helps you out the most? Those are your leaders. And what's crazy is oftentimes you go into places of business and you can ask those questions and the employees never mention the person in the position. And that's crazy to me because what that tells me is the person in the position isn't listening to their people. And the person in the position has no self-awareness of what's happening. That's a manager. That is not a leader. So someone can be a CEO and have no clue how to lead a company. And that happens quite often. I see it especially in government work. I see it in school systems. You know, those types of situations that are very archaic, large systems, and you see it in large corporations, they move people up the ladder because of tenure. Oh, John's been here 10 years. We need a CEO or we need a, a leader of this, you know, division or whatever. And they put you in that position. We need a new principal. We need a new superintendent. They put people in those positions because of tenure. In other words, AKA, they have nowhere else to put them. <laughs> so they're going to double their salary, give them more benefits and put them in that position. And it's, it's treacherous. It's treacherous. Um, so I think, the, I think the basic fundamental statement is the person does not make the position. And the position does not make the person. So you've got to really look at, if we're going to, I, I said that wrong, the person makes the position. The position doesn't make the person. I'm sorry. So if we're going to look at that, you have to really give power not to the position, but to the person. And, and that takes a lot of um, innovation mentally, especially when you're dealing with large systematic type companies or government entities or anything like that. Because now all of a sudden they're going against years and years of tradition. Well, this is how we've, I heard that in ministry law. Well, this is how we've always done it. And my rebuttal always is, and we're not always, we're not where you always were. <laughs> and so it's a different day and time. Yeah. Yeah. That's always an interesting conversation to have with people because leaders that are 
people that are managers in leadership positions don't like that conversation. And I believe they don't like it because they know the truth. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. There, there's just there, there's not a shortage of ineffective leaders throughout organizations, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you shared a couple general examples. <clears throat> and we've all been there. We've all had leaders who are micromanagers. We all have leaders who, who don't empower, they don't trust, they don't share, they don't provide autonomy. You know, all those are, are necessary elements of truly leading, not just managing. And one way I think about it too is, is that managers tend to seek compliance with policies, yes. rules, norms, whatever. Whereas leaders are looking for fostering commitment through inspiration, through persuasion, right? So rather than just trying to get someone to do what I say, you're, you're leading by example, you're serving alongside your people. They know that you're walking the walk and, and people fall in line because they want to be there. They want to be part of that team because they know they're going to be their best selves and they're, they're not only going to, um, help the organization be successful, but they're going to prepare themselves for their future, for their future career. And, and that's what organizations need. And so, so often they, they just make all the wrong decisions as they're hiring people, promoting people from within or bringing people in externally. Um, so, so that raises the question, like how, how, how do we better select for leadership? Um, at, because, you know, regardless of what we may say about the value of, positionless organizations or flat hierarchies or, you know, there's lots of research to go behind um, the efficacy of, of some of those types of approaches, but still it's the norm, it's tradition, and those things are hard to, to change. And so most organizations are still going to have the bureaucratic structures. How do we get the right people into these leadership positions so that we don't have the Peter principle playing out over and over and over again, where you have the Michael Scotts of the world you know, becoming, you know, leaders or managers when they have no idea what they're doing. Right. Great reference point, by the way. Love that. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, really, let's talk about two approaches, right? So let's talk about the approach where a, a company or an entity may be willing to dive into the deep end. They may be willing to say, we're going to take this archaic viewpoint. It hasn't worked. We're not going to hire for con conti continuity anymore. We're going to hire for effectiveness. So let's take that approach in a second. But first, let's, let's take the approach of Say you have a CEO that's in that position, they're in the, 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 the middle of that company and they know the reality is, much like you just alluded to, they're not going to change the system. I mean, it's, and, and I've worked with those companies, all of us have worked for them or with them or led them. And you just know when you look at the end of the day, I'm one, I'm one person, I'm not in my lifetime, probably not going to change the system. So let's look at that first. Really, it's about permission. And it's about permission to grow. It's about permission to continue learning. And it's about permission to, to step into this idea of empowering leadership. Okay. So this CEO says, I really want to change. I want my people to change. Or say we're working with a, a leader of a company that is kind of curious about this idea. It's just walking through. How would you want to be led? Do you want to get told what to do every day? Do you want to get yelled at every day? Do you want to get threatened every day? Do you want to get paid little to be asked to work more? Do you want to miss your family all the time? I mean, we could list a thousand questions. What are your answers to those, Mr. or Miss CEO? How do you feel about those? So let's begin to change that first. And then we'll use the trickle down effect. I believe in, in top, top to bottom when you're talking about culture change. The bottom people can do all they can to change, but if the top people don't really lead and instigate that change, it has no sustainability. So now we're talking about top down, top to bottom. So Mr. Miss CEO, how do you feel about those questions? Let's really take inventory of those. So for the person that's in the middle of that large system that can't change the system, they can change what they can control. They can change themselves. They can help change their people. And I want to go back to the word I mentioned. It's about permission, giving self permission to do something different and then giving your people permission. A manager says we can't do whatever. A leader says, how can we do whatever? And it's those little changes. So if we have a leader that's listening, that constantly finds themselves saying, well, we can't do that. I would invite them to start shifting that to how can we do that? Because the answer still could be, well, because of policy or whatever, we still can't. It's a different mindset approach and you start entertaining ideas. So that's for person that's in the middle of the system that they can't change. Now let's talk about person or company or entity that's ready to dive out. You asked the question about how do we begin maybe hiring differently? How do we look at things from a different perspective? Um, I am from the old school when it comes to hiring. Uh, I'll actually put a little plug in now. In the next probably four to six months, my, my new book will be out, How to Hire and Keep Great People. And we're going to talk in the book about cultural development and how to find great people. Because the, the excuse I keep getting from business leaders is we can't find good people. No, 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 no. I can go out in 10 minutes and find a really good team of people. Because the question isn't, can I find them? The question is, can I develop them? So I'm old school. That company I referenced earlier in the episode um, when I was 21, 22 years old and they gave me a two and a half million dollar business to run. 
Um, we actually, now we're talking late 90s, early 2000s, before Indeed and before other third-party hiring um, systems. We actually interviewed every single person that put in a resume, every single one of them. Five-minute interview, three or four questions, and I averaged getting five to eight uh, uh, applications a day. So I was doing hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And what I learned was nothing replaces one-on-one -on -one conversation. Nothing replaces human flesh and blood. And I know that those third-party platforms have allowed other people opportunities they may not have had. They've allowed companies to spread their net. But the negative side of it is I think companies have gotten really lazy on finding people. They've gotten really lazy on interviewing people and they've depended solely on third parties to do their hiring. Here's the problem, John. Third parties don't know my company's culture. Third parties don't know the personality of our company. They don't know leadership styles that we want. They don't know any of that. So when it comes to shifting the mindset of how we're hiring, I say we get really creative. Look within first. Look within first, but don't look in the same spots. Don't look at the people that are managers now to be CEOs in the future. Look at the janitor who does a great job. Look at the secretary who does a great job. Look at those, those, those people that you may not think otherwise could do the job because I would be willing to bet they can do the job. They may not have all the credentials you want, but unless you're working in law or a doctor or an educator and you don't need those, we can, we can get people certifications. We can get people more educated. I can't, I can't buy you intangibles. And that janitor that goes the extra mile and dusts when we don't ask them to, or vacuums when we don't ask them to, they're doing something that actually, those are strong leadership traits. And some of the smartest people I know are uneducated in the traditional sense. Um, my father-in-law is one of the most, my friend calls him the most uneducated, educated man he's ever met. And you hire that man to run something for you, he's going to do a great job. If you put, look at his resume, you would never hire him. And so it's not only looking in at those opportunities, but then it's also looking out. What I tell people all the time, when you're recruiting, when you're out to eat, you're recruiting. When you're out at a movie, you're recruiting. When you're on a Zoom call, you're recruiting. Whatever you're doing, you're recruiting because those people are sitting there and they're ready, but they're probably employed. And that's where we miss it oftentimes. We often want to hire, look at the unemployed. We want to look at the people that are putting those applications in rather than actually recruiting the people that are doing a really nice job where they are. And it could be in unexpected places. I just had a lot of luck in life hiring out of the, five or six or 7,000 employees I've had over the years. I've had a lot of luck finding people where you never thought they would be found. And that's where the magic is. And that changes how we view leadership as well. Because now all of a sudden, manager who, you said it, uh, managers want to serve compliance is kind of how you said it. But that's a problem because if we've got someone in a leadership role who's really a manager and we hire someone that's untraditional, Manager's going to flip because they don't understand that does not fall within compliance. But a true leader will go, oh, yes, I want those people. When I used to hire people for sales, I, I actually didn't enjoy hiring people with past sales experience because they had so many bad habits I had to unlearn.
I would rather hire someone who didn't have sales experience because I could teach them my culture and that was valuable to me. And when leaders start looking at it from that perspective, it really changes the game. So leader that wants to dive into the deep end, I would say really start looking on traditional. Go old school, talk to those people, shake, well, don't shake hands in today's situation, but get to the flesh and blood of it. And leaders that may not can make that major change right now, it will be looking within, but controlling and changing what they can control and change. Yeah, and I, th I think it's really important to think in terms of competencies and capabilities as opposed to arbitrary years of experience or uh, outside of certain fields, even credentials, right? Yes. Um, and it, it blows my mind the number of times I see job postings that have stated years of experience requirements. Yes. You know, five years of experience in such and such a role. I mean, that doesn't mean they had five good years of experience. It just means they had five years of experience. Like that doesn't mean anything to me. Um, I would much rather take someone who is hungry and, you know, new and fresh, and maybe they have a year under their belt. I'd much rather have that person than someone who has five crappy years of experience. So, I mean, there's so many things that we do that organizations do to shoot themselves in the foot when they're trying to hire good talent. Uh, and and you, you illustrated that really well with your comments as well. Well, Mitch, I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is we need to shift our mindset, right? We need, we need organizational leaders up and down the hierarchy to recognize, you know, kind of what we've been talking about, that, that we need to look in creative ways for people who have the capabilities to, to take on leadership roles that can really help the organization to be successful and not be so caught up with the norms and the tradition and, and doing things just because it's always been done that way. I, I hope that COVID has kind of pushed us to challenge assumptions and pushed us to rethink those traditions um, just out of necessity. And in some ways, I hope that will end up, you know, help us, helping us to, to, uh, to navigate these things a little bit better in the future. Um, before we close, I do want to make sure I give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, um, and give you a chance to give the last word. Yeah, great. This, this has been awesome, John. Um, I, I will say one more thing about COVID. It's been interesting because for years, a lot of us talked about remote teams, right? And the value of remote teams. And, and a lot of people didn't want to hear it. And now all of a sudden it's like, uh, we have to use, it's that forced change. And that's okay if we have to have forced change, just listen to it. So I, I think that's a great example of what's happening. Um, yeah, Twitter and Instagram, people can find me at mgraymedia, that's G-R-A-Y, um, and actually on Facebook there as well, mgraymedia, um, and then on LinkedIn, just look up Mitch Gray, G-R-A-Y, and you'll find me, uh, find me on LinkedIn as well. Our website, if you want to check out some blogs or other material that we, that we develop quite often is shift, S-H-I-F-T dot L-L-C. And that's actually where you can also, um, if, you, if you're interested in setting up some coaching sessions or um, some speaking sessions, you can contact us there or, or uh, DM me on social media either way and we can get that going for you because we are booking uh, both right now. I know it's kind of a strange, I've talked to other coaches and consultants and it's like, yeah, this is a real strange time, but it's also an advantageous time because you don't have to pay someone to travel, you don't have to pay someone to come in. Uh, a Zoom call works really well for things like that. So contact us there. Um, and then my personal website is mitchgray.me and, and you'll find kind of some inspirational stuff there. The podcast is the Mitch Gray show, anywhere you listen to podcasts and B 
be uh, follow us so you can be keeping up with the new book that's coming out. I mentioned it earlier, How to Hire and Keep Great People. Uh, I actually worked on the outline quite a bit this weekend, and it's I think it's going to be a, a, something that really encourages leaders and gives them some tangible, measurable steps to take in actually a lot of the things we talked about today. So this has been great. Um, and we actually have our next two books lined up as well. So we're going to have a series for leaders that's going to be really, really critical and, and advantageous. So, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Mitch. It has really been a pleasure uh, to have this conversation today. I hope listeners will reach out, get connected with Mitch, find out more about what he and his company can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone stays healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great day. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.